Today's passage comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 16 to 33. Uh, passage is a little bit intense, so uh, this is Jesus talking to his 12 disciples, and he says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated for by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the, on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let's all pray together. God, we thank you for this time. And uh, anytime we get to sit uh, under your word, uh, we need to pray because um, even... Uh, understanding, uh, even seeing, but especially receiving and especially uh, having our hearts changed and formed and transformed by your word is something that uh, only you can do in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we help, we ask for your help in, um, as we see this passage, as we see Jesus' very words as revealed in the Gospel of Matthew, that you would help us to not only see it, but to receive it and to be changed by it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, we are in the middle of a series, and we are looking at the topic of fear and what the Bible says about fear. And, you know, one, one of the reasons why um, I felt compelled to go through a series on fear is because my sense is, uh, without courage, uh, I don't think we can be faithful to God. Uh, I don't think we can be faithful to what God wants us to do. And, you know, last week we started by talking about something called the fear of man in the Bible, because I think that's something that all of us probably struggle with to varying degrees. Uh, we tend to allow the opinions of others and the judgment of others uh, have power over us more than God's opinion of us and God's judgments over us. And so when we talked about the fear of man last week, uh, we basically talked about it in the context of how people can uh, hurt us emotionally or socially or psychologically. But there's also an aspect to the fear of man that uh, I don't think we may personally deal with, although we might, but it's something that Christians throughout history and even now Christians in other parts of the world experience uh, on a very frequent basis. 
And it's the fear that people can physically harm you and hurt you and possibly even kill you and take your life, uh, especially for what you believe and for your faith. Now, I know because we're in the West, uh, most of us are not in that boat, but I do think it's worth thinking about because it's good to know that the promises of the gospel and what, uh, what Christ has accomplished for us is actually big enough to give us courage, not just against the emotional, social, and psychological stuff that may harm us, but it is actually big enough to give us courage even in the face of death. It's like uh, having a bulletproof car. Uh, you may not need it, but it's nice to know that if someone were ever to shoot at you, uh, there's something robust enough to get you through it. And I think the gospel is like that. And maybe we don't need a bulletproof car uh, in the West, um, but it's nice to know that the gospel is robust enough to get us through even when we face death. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about persecution today. And uh, one of the main reasons is because this passage anticipates persecution for Jesus' disciples. And, you know, I always struggle with talking about persecution um, to American Christians. <laughs> I struggle with it because I'm not sure how much we can relate to it. I don't know how many of us have actual firsthand experience of it. Uh, the closest we probably come to encountering it is uh, our brother Jamil, who uh, used to uh, be a part of this community before he moved to Indiana. But Jamil is from Pakistan, and I would say he probably experienced persecution because he, he faced some serious death threats. He was a believer in a country that was predominantly Muslim. Not only that, he was an evangelist, and he was a very bold evangelist, and uh, a lot of the Muslims around him uh, in his community did not like that, so he received a lot of threats on his life. But for us, for most of us, I don't know how many of us experience that kind of persecution. Has anybody ever threatened you um, with not just physical harm, not just with arrest, but has anybody threatened to kill you because you are a follower of Jesus? Uh, when we think about persecution, maybe we think about social ostracism and things like that, and maybe that is persecution. But what I'm referring to persecution here is I'm talking about the kind where governments can threaten you, governments can throw you in prison, people can kill you because of your faith. And, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, I've talked to different missionaries in the course of my life who serve in other countries, and, uh, you know, they're, they're actually ready for persecution, uh, any kind of persecution that may come from them. And it's a little weird because they're very nonchalant <laughs> about it. And they say, well, you know, if I get arrested or if I get killed for preaching the gospel, then, hey, that's the price for preaching the gospel. And if I die, I get to be with the Lord. And, you know, it sounds a little bit crazy to some of us. And maybe it sounds a little bit irresponsible. But, you know, if you read the gospels and if you read what Jesus says, they are actually more in line with what Jesus says than perhaps what we are, right, for somebody who follows him. So I, I think maybe in our culture, uh, you know, we tend to maybe sanitize a little bit about what Jesus says, what he taught. Uh, I think we're a little bit selective in quoting some of the things that Jesus uh, teaches. But, you know, if you want to take Jesus seriously, then you have to acknowledge and you have to receive some of the hard things that Jesus says. And you see, Matthew 10 is uh, a chapter that is filled with many hard things that Jesus says. For example, you know, after the passage that we read today, one of the things that Jesus will say is this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his, her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And uh, maybe we're tempted to read that and we say, Well, did, did Jesus really mean that? Does he literally mean that? How could he possibly mean that? Maybe there's some kind of alternate interpretation. 
And what that does is then we start to just kind of ignore it and we say, well, we shouldn't take that as seriously as some of the other things that Jesus says. But look, if we take Jesus' words as truth, as teaching we should pay attention to, then we gotta take all of it, right? So Matthew 10, addressed to his 12 disciples and he is sending them out on a mission and he is telling them what they should expect. And the reason I'm inclined to think that these are things that should be taken literally is because many of the things that uh, the 12 experience actually happened to him. Many things that Jesus says the 12 are going to experience actually happened to them. They were delivered over to the courts. They were dragged before governors and kings. They were, some of them were, put to death. And Jesus is saying to them, if I am going to be hated and despised, you should expect that as well. But the kind of fear that Jesus is addressing here, it's a verse 27, summarizes it very well when he says this. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. The kind of fear that Jesus is talking about here is the kind that's created when his disciples, when his followers speak and proclaim Jesus' words to the public. It's the kind of fear that has to do with the consequences of speaking boldly and openly to anyone who is around to hear it. And I think all of us probably have at least a little bit of that kind of fear. We experience that kind of fear when we're afraid to speak from our convictions. It's a kind of fear that prevents people from speaking out against unfair treatment of a colleague, maybe. It's a kind of fear that produces yes-men around powerful people. It's a kind of fear that believers oftentimes will experience when they live in a society where Christianity is not particularly welcome. But if you identify with Jesus, and if you say you follow Jesus, then to a certain degree, you have to be expected to be treated like Jesus. And that's what verses 24 and 25 are getting at. Uh, now, of course, it doesn't mean that you know, everybody here, uh, as soon as we leave service, we should go to the roofs of these buildings, and nobody would hear us anyway, so maybe more pr appropriate analogy. Uh, it doesn't mean we should all go to the streets and um, you know, shout the gospel. And to be honest, uh, in New York, people probably wouldn't pay attention. Uh, there's a little bit of contextualizing that should go on. But I think at the very least, what we can say is this. We have to be open and we have to be public about our faith, about who we follow, about what we believe. It's not something that's supposed to be privatized and kept to ourselves. And that's when I think that fear may creep in within us. Have you ever been tempted to hide your faith in any kind of situation or circumstance? You know, very simply, when someone asks you, what did you do for the weekend? Do you conveniently leave out the part where you went to church on Sunday? Do you gloss over the fact that maybe you met up with a community group and you prayed together or you went to a prayer meeting? Uh, for those of you who've gone on mission trips in the past, when someone asks you, oh, so why are you going to these foreign countries? Do you say, well, I'm going on a mission trip for Jesus, or do you say, well, I'm going on a humanitarian trip? Yeah, I know your tricks, right? If I, were, if I were to visit your job, right, how would you introduce me? Would you say, this is my friend, Sam? Or would you say, this is my pastor from my church who's <laughs> visiting me at work? I don't know. Maybe you would introduce me as a pastor. Who knows? But th there are these subtle ways, I think, that you know, maybe we don't even realize it's like the fear within us that's causing us to respond in certain ways and hide our faith in certain ways. But I think, I think that operates within all of us. Now, what's scary about what Jesus says at the end of this passage is he says this. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, 
I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. I, th I think those are terrifying words, right? Terrifying words. Well, you know, on the one hand, I think we could safely say God is forgiving because you know what? Peter denied Jesus three times, right? And Peter was restored. On the other hand, we should recognize that acknowledging Jesus before people by being public about what we believe, about who we follow, who we trust, that's something that is incredibly important to Jesus, that we do that, right? To deny Jesus is to disassociate with him, and it's basically saying this, that I care more about what these people think rather than what Jesus thinks. And that's not good if you are a follower of Jesus. Now, as we look on our passage, I, I want to focus the rest of our time on, on the chunk, the last chunk, 26 to 33, because this is a section that has to do with fear. And, uh, you know, right from the start, Jesus says, so have no fear of them. Now, have no fear of whom? Have no fear of the ones who will deliver you over to the courts, who will flog you. Have no fear of the ones who will drag you before governors and kings, who will have you put to death. Have no fear of those who will hate you for Jesus' sake. Have no fear of them. And Jesus is telling that to his disciples. Have no fear of those people. Now, I've, I've said, you know, the reason why, uh, if you're a believer, the reason why we shouldn't be afraid is not because there are no good reasons to be afraid. I've always said there are a lot of good reasons to be afraid. It makes sense to be afraid of people who want to have you killed or thrown into prison. But I think the Bible's answer is not there's no good reason to be afraid as if uh, we live in some kind of alternate reality. But the Bible is basically saying this. Jesus gives us better reasons not to be afraid. And in our passage, he gives us three reasons for why we shouldn't be afraid. Now, let's look at these three reasons. The first one. First, Jesus says, his disciples will be vindicated. And you see that in verse 26 when he says, so have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Now, what does that mean? What is he saying? I think he's basically saying this. Everything that is true will eventually come to light. Everything that you are proclaiming, even though you are punished for it, even though you are vilified for it, even though you may be killed for it, one day God's truth is going to come to life and you will be, I guess, vindicated for what you said, what you've preached. Now, <laughs> I was actually talking to Fred about this because I was like, I don't understand, right? How, what does that really do for people? Uh, I don't know if that gives you much comfort or anybody who's going to uh, preach the gospel and die, but I, I wonder, maybe it's important for somebody who kind of lives in an honor-shame culture. So for example, if your son, if your brother, if your sister, mother, whatever, was charged with blasphemy and tried as a criminal and stoned to death, like Stephen was in Acts, then maybe that brings a level of shame to your family, right? We hear about Stephen, but we don't hear about his family. How does his family feel about the fact that uh, he said all these things? Uh, maybe in that kind of culture uh, where you're worried about like family name and you're worried about legacy and the potential shame you could bring to your family for following Jesus and proclaiming him, uh, maybe something like that, what Jesus says here, gives you a little bit of comfort. Jesus says, you know, one day the truth will come out. And maybe the shame that you brought to your legacy, to your family, uh, one day that will be vindicated. Uh, I think sometimes you hear people use a phrase uh, being on the wrong side of history, right? And uh, that basically means, you know, when we have some historical different di distance between the presence, uh, people who believed in X, Y, and Z are going to be shown to be wrong. They will be on the wrong side of history. 
And there are a lot of people who probably think that Christians are on the wrong side of history because Christians believe in X, Y, and Z. That's nothing new. Uh, you know, in the ancient world, people thought Christians were on the wrong side of history there. People thought Jesus was on the wrong side of history. Why else would they crucify him? People thought the early Christians who claimed Jesus was the Messiah were on the wrong side of history. Why do you think they arrested them? Why do you think they judged them? Because they thought they were on the wrong side of history. But what Jesus is saying here is one day, one day, the truth will come out. And those of you who preached and proclaimed what I said to you, there will be vindication. Again, I don't know if that does anything for you, but that's what Jesus says as the first reason. Second reason. Jesus says in verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body. Uh, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There is a lot to unpack here, and I have to be somewhat brief, but let me just say a couple things. Most, most of us, I don't think, uh, think about dying. I know my parents think about dying. I just had this eerie, morbid conversation with my dad, and he was like, yeah, you know, I'll probably die in like 10 years, so this is what you need to take care of. Um, uh, but if you're, you know, if you're not of my parents' generation and if you're maybe relatively young in your 30s and 40s, maybe you don't think about death all too often and all too frequently. Uh, we're not living in a, in a society where there's a lot of disease, where there's a lot of war, where there's a lot of persecution. Uh, so I, I did a mental exercise and I thought, what would it be like to face your own death? And uh, just as you would expect, it's actually a really scary prospect. Uh, as I was thinking about it, there are a few things that scared me. Uh, the first thing, there's a physical component. I hope I don't die <laughs> in a very, very painful way with a lot of physical pain. Uh, maybe with modern medicine, if I have some kind of disease, maybe medicine can dull that pain a little bit. But if you overcome the pain, then I was thinking, uh, another thing that's really scary about death is there's such a finality to it. Uh, you're used to waking up every day, and you're used to doing things. But there is going to be a point where one day, uh, you won't wake up, and it'll be the end. And that's a really scary thought as well. And I imagine that that's actually probably something that makes dying a really lonely experience. Uh, your life stops while everybody else around you continues on. Uh, you may have the comfort of people around you as you reminisce about the past and about your life and about the good times you've had, but then at the end of the day, in the final moments, nobody can walk that road to death with you. And it's essentially a lonely walk that you have to face. And for me, I think that last part, that last thought filled me with the greatest fear than any other kind of pain or any kind of finality. Uh, I think it's the utter loneliness that somebody feels when they go through death. Should we be afraid of that? I think so. <laughs> I think we should be afraid of that. Death is not natural. Death is uh, an invasion of God's creation, and it was never meant to be that way. So the question is, why would Jesus say, don't be afraid of people who can accelerate that process for you? Don't be afraid of them. Because when you die, it won't be the end, because there's an eternity. When you die... You won't be alone because God is probably the only one who is going to be with you and able to walk with you in that process as you die. At the end of 2 Timothy, Paul's in prison. He's been deserted by everybody. He knows his life is about to end soon. You know what gives him strength in those final days? He says this, when everybody deserted me, the Lord stood by me. 
the Lord stood by me. You know when Stephen is about to die because he was being martyred? He looks up to heaven. Do you know what he sees? The Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Do you know why we don't have to be afraid of the one who can kill the body? Do you know why we don't have to be afraid of the one who can accelerate that really scary process of death? Because the Lord will stand by us as he takes us into eternity with him. And, uh, you know, unless the thought of death is something you really wrestle with, unless it's like a reality, um, maybe that doesn't hit as hard as it should. But that's a, that's a wonderful promise. Now, I remember hearing a story many years ago about some North Korean believers. And uh, I think most of you are familiar with some of the horrific things that are happening in North Korea and, you know, what the government has done to its people. And uh, maybe you're not aware, but North Korea is actually ranked number one in terms of the level of Christian persecution. And, you know, I heard this story a number of years ago, and uh, I came across the article again this week. You know, honestly, I debated, should I read uh, this article to you? Because it's, it's incredibly disturbing. Uh, but I decided to share it um, because, well, one, we should be aware of uh, what Christians in other parts of the world are facing. But also, I think we should be aware of the kind of courage and strength that God can give to his people through the promises of the gospel. So this story comes by way of interviews with people who escaped North Korea. Uh, here's what the article says. In November 1996, so a number of years ago, um, there were 25 people in a church. They were caught meeting. They were brought to a road construction site. Four concentric rectangular rows of spectators were assembled to watch the execution. Interviewee number 17 was in the first row. The five leaders to be executed, the pastor, two assistant pastors, and two elders, were bound hand and foot and made to lie down in front of a steamroller. This steamroller was a large construction vehicle imported from Japan with a heavy, huge, and wide steel roller mounted on the front to crush the level and level the roadway prior to pouring concrete. The other 20 persons were held just to the side the condemned were accused of being Protestant Christian spies and conspiring to engage in subver subversive activities. Nevertheless, they were told, if you abandon religion and serve only Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il, you will not be killed. None of the five said a word. Some of the fellow parishioners assembled to watch the execution cried, screamed out, or fainted when the skulls made a popping sound as they were crushed beneath the steamroller. Um, that's hard to read. Uh, I can't imagine what it would have been like uh, to witness that. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be the pastor Assistant pastors or elders lying in front of a steamroller. Somebody saying, if you reject your religion, if you abandon your faith, you can live. And to have the courage to just lie there, stay silent, and get run over by the steamroller. You know, again, it's hard for people in the West to relate to this kind of thing because uh, we don't face this kind of persecution like that here. But here's what I think we can draw from this. If what Jesus says is enough to strengthen people like Stephen, people like Paul, people like these North Korean believers who faced death for following Jesus, 
it is certainly enough to give us strength and courage in the face of any kind of opposition we face that is much less severe, right? The gospel is a bulletproof car. We may not need it, but we have it. Finally, the last reason we should not be afraid is because God is in control of all things and he deeply cares for us. When Jesus talks about the sparrow, he's talking about them because they were considered uh, to be really insignificant, worthless animals. Uh, it's like pigeons or rats in New York City. Nobody's going to miss a pigeon or a rat if a few of them disappeared. And when Jesus says, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, he's basically saying this, God cares for even the humblest of creatures. How much more then does he care about you? Uh, I live in a house with uh, three girls. And uh, because they all have long hair, I find their hair everywhere. <laughs> it's all over the floor, all over the bathroom floor, all over the bed, everywhere. There's right? hair everywhere. My wife would say, yeah, you shed too, though. Yeah, but my hair is not as long. <laughs> And uh, you just think about it, right? You don't give it a second thought when your hair falls to the ground and when you have to clean it up. But notice as God says, God numbers all the hairs on our head, even the ones that fall to the ground. So what does that mean, right? Look at verse 31. Therefore, fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. God cares so much about you, he even cares about the details. God knows so much about you that he even knows the numbers of your hair. You are valuable to God. You are precious to God. Now, we are in New York, and some of the issues that people have in New York may be that uh, maybe we think too highly of ourselves, and maybe we think we should be precious to God. That's a different sermon, right? But there are people, maybe... You feel a lot of guilt. Maybe you feel a lot of shame for various reasons. Maybe you feel like you're unworthy before God. Maybe it's because of personal sin, outward appearance. Maybe it's a mistake you made in the past or an error of judgment, a personal failure, or some other kind of baggage that a lot of people carry all the time. And as a result, maybe when you look at yourself, you see yourself as this ugly failure who is unimportant and perhaps unlovable. When we feel that way, I think there's a tendency to be fearful of people because we're so dependent upon them to feel acceptance. We're so dependent upon them to make us feel beautiful and good and successful and whatever it may be. I've said this in the past, but I think one of the great insights that I get from the Reformation theologian Martin Luther is when he talks about God's love. He says God's love is so different from human love because human love tends to be reactive, meaning this. When we see something that is attractive about the other person, whether it's a character trait, whether it's external beauty, whether it's whatever it is, whether they're nice to us, then we react by moving towards them. Then we react by loving them. But God's love is very different because it doesn't work that way. When God sees us in our sin, he doesn't see something that is attractive that would compel him to move towards us. Therefore, he has no reason to react to us and move towards us. God's love is actually not reactive, but it is creative. What that means is God doesn't love us because we are beautiful, but God's love recreates us and makes us beautiful through his very love for us in his son. The only reason we can be confident that we are precious to God, that we are valuable to God, even though our, our hearts are covered with filth and dirt, 
is because God loved us to the point of sending his son into a world where he would have to die on a cross for us. And when Jesus did that and when he rose from the dead, it not only did something for us, but it did something to us. It made us beautiful in his sight. Now that's not completed until we die, until the final days, until the resurrection. But when God sees us at least, he sees us through the forgiving, sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ, and therefore he sees us as holy, clean, and glorious in his sight. Which means he values us and he finds us precious. If that's how God sees you, Jesus is saying this, there is no reason to be afraid. You are under God's sovereign, loving care. Now that doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you because bad things happen to Jesus' disciples, bad things happen to those North Korean believers, but it does mean this, your life is secure in eternity because God will care for you even when death comes to you. God's care continues not only in this life but in eternity as well. So in view of these three things, what are we called to do? The answer is very simple. Acknowledge Jesus. Acknowledge Jesus before men. Not simply in the privacy of your own heart, but acknowledge him in public. And if you are vilified for it, if you are made fun of for it, if people give you weird looks for it, draw courage from the very reasons that Jesus taught his disciples to draw courage. Find peace from the fact that Jesus will acknowledge you before his Father with a sense of joy, with a sense of delight, because you have been made beautiful and glorious through the blood of Christ. Let me just make a few final comments. Um, I don't know what the future holds in the West, especially for churches in the West. Um, but if I were to take a guess, it doesn't look good. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> you know, we're in New York, so I think most of us probably recognize and understand uh, Christianity and Christian values are probably in decline, um, maybe growing hostility towards certain things that Christians believe. I think the key for church is to be faithful in the future, uh, to continue in the mission that God has set in terms of proclaiming the gospel. Uh, the church is probably going to have to be courageous. And uh, if the churches are not courageous, if believers are not courageous, um, it probably means uh, we won't do good and faithful ministry. Uh, I don't know how fruitful it will be because only the Holy Spirit is going to produce the fruit. But at the very least, we have to do our role. And I think it's simply put, it's got to be who you are. You just got to be authentic and honest. If you're a believer, if you believe in Jesus, can't hide it in public. When it comes up, acknowledge what you believe, who you are, in a natural, right, friendly way, winsome way. And uh, I trust that God will use it in the ways that he desires. Let's pray together.